some of my most tumultuous years personally were my most successful professionally because I was just so good at internalizing everything and, and letting it out on the mountain, which is why, you know, when I retired, it was an interesting transition because I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have my therapy anymore. Like, what do I do? What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 33 of the Mad Happy Podcast. I'm Payman. And I'm Mason. And welcome back to another year of the Mad Happy Podcast. Uh, really excited to be bringing our first new episode of the year to you guys. Ended the year super strong, and we've been recording a bunch of episodes as, as we gear up for 2022. So really excited for you guys to hear them and excited on hopefully where we can take the show this year. We're back, baby. Haven't recorded in a few weeks. Feels good to be back. Get the headphones back on. We got Phineas here. As most of you know, we were in Aspen uh, for the break. We opened up a store there on the 17th, which was amazing. The store was probably my favorite pop-up we've ever done. I think both just the design and then really built it around our outdoors collection, which was our last release of the year. Uh, that performed really well, had a lot of really new, exciting products that we've never made for the first time. So it was some awesome breakthroughs on the design team and the product side. And then like I said, just the design of the store was was super cool. The whole thing was made of wood, floor to ceiling, and kind of had this this curvature throughout that really embodied uh, like aspen trees and almost like the natural forest of the space. So that was really special. And then the skiing was just out of control. I mean, it it was dumping there for like two weeks straight. I've I've been going to Aspen lucky enough to have been going there my entire life and this was some of the best skiing that i've ever had uh we even got payment out there for a day uh, <laughs> before he injured himself on the slopes yeah no it was, it was a great time like you said like amazing store amazing way to wind down the year for sure uh and i think coming into this year uh both on the podcast side we have a lot planned i think we want to do more video content we're building out our studio and our new office which will be super cool and we'll be able to do a lot more in-person stuff, hopefully, in the coming months. And then I also think continuing to expand what we're doing on the mental health side. Today, actually, um, we announced the Mad Happy Foundation, which is something we've wanted to do for a long time. I think as we've continued to grow uh, as a brand, we, we, we want to continue giving back in a big way. And we think that the foundation component of it is super important for us. I think allowing 1% of sales forever to to support the foundation and allow us to give more grants like we did last year uh, with the University of Pennsylvania's Positive Psychology Center and using our platform to be able to like raise more money, do bigger things, I think is something that is exciting for us. So we appreciate you guys, you know, joining us on this journey and keep the feedback coming on the podcast. Uh, and I think we have a big year in store. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you brought up the foundation because I think I've already been getting a bunch of texts up from people about how amazing that is and, and asking questions and being really excited for us. And I'm just so excited for it. I think the potential of it is absolutely limitless. And I really can't wait to just work with different organizations and, and really help people. And I, I truly believe that this foundation really has the potential to change the world and, and, and make it a more optimistic place and encourage people to care more about their mental health. I think something that's so excited about this is that we're not really limiting it. I think that we think about what well, we talk about mental health operating on such a wide spectrum and there are really so many different 
causes and orgs and different buckets that fall under the mental health spectrum. And I'm excited to be able to fund all of them and work with all of them, whether that's kids or sports teams, education, uh, culturally, you know, there's so many people that really care about mental health now. And, and I think it's the perfect time for us to start this and really excited to see what we can do with it. Another just great way to start the year for us. Um, and, and I think that it is a good uh, segue to like introduce our guest for today. Uh, we spoke to Olympic gold medalist Lindsay Vaughn in December uh, ahead of her book launch that actually came out this week. So everyone should definitely check that out. But really an amazing conversation, I would say. Like she had struggled so much with her mental health growing up in the limelight, trying to become an Olympic champion, having to persevere through many injuries to get back on the slopes. And I think she's learned a lot from that time and really gets into it both in the podcast and in her book as well. So I was excited to you know bring her in as the first episode of the year and get it started the right way. Yeah, I mean, she's without a doubt like the female goat of skiing. And I think that that was really incredible. And, and the two pieces that I remember the most are just like, one, being an Olympian. And I feel like we don't talk enough about what that does on a lot of people's mental health of working so hard half a decade essentially for this one moment or this one game or one event and then really having to capitalize on that as much as you can and if you don't medal or you don't make it what that means financially or for you or for your family and really how short the window is um and we and we've had athletes on the show before and i think we love talking to athletes about their mental health and kind of the mind body connection and all that stuff but to hear from an olympian on that level was just an entirely different game and and i really feel like they're in a class of their own when it comes to athletes um so yeah i thought it was an amazing a conversation we both got a chance to read the book and and it was really incredible um so yeah i think you guys are gonna love this one without further ado the mad happy podcast is brought to you by optimism Please enjoy the show with Lindsay Vaughn. Today, we're joined by our friend, Lindsay Vaughn. Lindsay, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. All right. So we haven't recorded in a few weeks, honestly, and we usually start off every episode with a journal prompt uh, from the Mad Happy Journal to just kind of all get on the same page. Uh, Today's question, which Payman came up with, what's one thing that you are currently struggling with? So I'll go and then Lindsay, you can go and Mason will we'll end it off. Um, Perfect. I thought of this question today because uh, it's I always like have a hard time answering these questions, uh, especially in a group setting. Uh, so I thought it was important for me. Um, but I think for for me personally, our company has seen a lot of growth um, over the past two years. And I think trying to balance that with like all of the hard parts of like trying to run a startup and trying to learn being younger, like we're both 27 and we started like this company like four years ago. I think it's sometimes hard, you know, because we try to do everything right. And I'm a very competitive person, which I know that you can relate with. Um, so it's hard for me to like realize that not everything will go right and, and being OK with that. And so I think that that's definitely something I'm struggling with and trying to talk more about to, you know, hopefully get past. Nice. Um, well, I mean, for me, I think it's kind of similar, actually. I'm highly competitive, as you said. <laughs> um, same with you. And I, you know, I've got a lot on my plate right now, and I'm kind of taking a lot on from a lot of different directions. Um, and I love it. You know, that's the challenge is what really excites me. But it's also, you know, a struggle to find balance within that. You know, I think 
And sometimes I feel like there is no balance. It's just trying to be in the moment and do the best that you can in that moment and be very present, but also still get the time off. You know, I, I still need to make sure I'm taking care of myself, which is sometimes hard because I just want to keep going and keep doing more things. And I get overloaded quickly because I can never say no. For sure. I think for me, uh, I don't know. I feel like we've we've had a really great last few months and we're just coming out of this weekend that we had in Aspen where we had a big like experiential moment for our brand with a lot of friends and and creators and tastemakers and some really cool people and it was really exciting but I'm having a hard time really like feeling that excitement for myself and I think for the last couple of years I've kind of gone back and forth with like the imposter syndrome stuff and we have this show and we have such great conversations and I don't feel like I'm practicing what I preach all the time. And I think it's obviously so much easier to like give advice than take advice. And I I have a lot of people that come to me for support and, and things like that. And it feels so good to share my story and be able to help people. But I just feel like I could be doing a much better job in my day to day life of like actually living it. And I mean, I'm going to therapy every week, which, which is good. And like, I'm proud of myself for that, but I don't know. I feel like you're a lot better than me at like diet and, and, and workout and stuff and like other behaviors that I want to do like a better job of that I know will help my mental health. And I feel like I'm just kind of like doing like the least. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's like this weird thing where like, I'm like competitive about my own like self-care, which is like a weird thing because you shouldn't be competitive about that, but I think it helps me in some ways. And then I think I don't have some of the things that you do well, um, but I feel like we all had like basically the same answer, which is funny. Um, Lindsay, we heard from from our mutual friend Brad that you know adrenaline and like that com- competitiveness is like something that's like driven you your whole life. Like, is that something that you felt when since you were a kid, or is that something that developed like the first time you had those feelings? Like, how did that come about? Uh, I think it came about you know, when I started to get better at skiing, um, cause I didn't start off being, you know, very good. I actually was horrible and was made fun of. My coach called me a turtle. Um, but when I was about nine, it kind of started to take off and, you know, winning and doing well and getting that kind of sense of achievement was something that I really enjoyed. But I think ultimately the main thing that drove me was just wanting to go fast. I loved, you know, if, if I was, racing if i was going from the chairlift to the start of the course i was like in my tuck trying to go faster than everyone like i was just constantly you know adrenaline seeking plus competitive which you know ultimately equaled a pretty good career but you know it's kind of the combination of the two that i think worked in my favor and and were you ever like scared or like how did like fear yeah did fear not play a role at all ever No, I never played a role. I was never afraid, which is probably why I crashed so many times. You know, I just, it's not something that crosses my mind. I'm literally like trying to still win the race as I'm crashing into the fence. Like I still think I can do it. And then, you know, (laughs) I implode into the fence. Yeah. It's just fear is just not something that I, I think about because especially in downhill, you know, you're going 85, 90 miles an hour. And if you're afraid of something, you probably shouldn't be there. Yeah. I think. I think especially growing up, I had a similar thing with the adrenaline and competitive thing, which actually led to me in eighth grade, like going off this like ski jump and breaking my hip and I'm all good now. But um, I think uh, I I definitely learned a lot. 
joke, no joke. Yeah, it, it was pretty crazy. And I think it was just like that, like competitive, like, oh, I'm going to go down like the biggest jump before all my friends type of vibe, which which I still have in many ways. But, but I think um, the adrenaline piece was definitely a little bit more tamed by that. Um, but I just think it, it's pretty, pretty funny. Yeah, I was reading uh, one of your quotes about that you had skill, but you felt like it was kind of just your overall approach to the sport that kind of set you apart. And then even to hear you just say that you sucked at first and you weren't good. I'm curious, like what made you stick with it at that age? And then overall, I just love asking like successful people, athletes, especially, but like, what do you feel like it was about your approach outside of the skill and how you really looked at it that led to your success? Well, I think what, you know, drove me when I was young was just the fact that I loved doing it. You know, I tried a lot of other sports. I tried figure skating and soccer and um, gymnastics, mm. and I was terrible at all of them. But I, even though I was terrible, I still like didn't really enjoy it. Like I'm not a very flexible person. So gymnastics was really a challenge for me. Um, and I was way too tall. But you know, I had friends in skiing, which I didn't really have that many friends in general. And because I was super nerdy, I had like braces and bangs and a perm. And it was just a really bad combination. But skiing was kind of where I felt the most comfortable. And um, so it's kind of what kept bringing me back. And then, you know, I the more I trained, the better I felt and I got more confidence in myself. And, you know, I eventually started to do well. But, you know, it's always my passion for you know, the mountain in the end and, and, you know, where I felt the most comfortable and safe. And I think later in my career, it was kind of the place where I it was like my, my therapy, it was very therapeutic for me because I had so much going on in my life. And when I was in the starting gate, that was when I felt the most, you know, at home. And, you know, I think that was just something that I developed kind of a compartmentalized everything and, and, um, focus on skiing and, and get my emotions sorted out on the mountain. Yeah, I thought it was awesome to read about like some of the unconventional techniques that you were taking, like about riding men's skis or even kind of looking at film and doing a lot of those like analysis that maybe were super prevalent in like basketball and football, but it seems like was really cutting edge for like skiing at the time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was very meticulous and detail oriented, um, especially after I started getting injured because, you know, physically I couldn't do what I used to do. So I had to really outsmart everyone and um, you know, really analyzing the course and finding places that I could make time. And I skied on men's skis and, and no one was doing that. I mean, I literally, people laugh me out of the room when I, when they found out. And then, you know, the first race comes when I am on the new skis and I blow everyone out of the water and, and no one's laughing anymore. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of those types of things that I, that I always look for. You know, I was always trying to be, uh, look outside of the box and what can I do to, to make myself a better athlete. Um, and that was also physical training as well. You know, I had a lot of different trainers and, um, you know, I, I tried to really push the envelope on what I could do from a physical perspective because I wasn't the na most naturally athletic person. I had, you know, obviously a skill set in skiing, but, you know, I really had to work a lot harder than everyone else to kind of get to the same, you know, physicality level that everyone else was at. So, you know, it was for me, it was it was a lot of hard work, but, you know, I, I loved what I did. And so that challenge of finding new ways to be fast was was exciting. And I don't know, not a lot of people take, you know, enjoy the the details. And and that's kind of what I enjoyed. Yeah, I think uh, when you were speaking, it literally reminded me of of like, Kobe, who's like one of my biggest idols and, and him, how he would talk about the details of the craft. And I think we always talk about both in 
life and in work, just like the ability to be humble and even hearing you say like, I, I knew what my limitations were and I knew what I couldn't do. And then I have like the wherewithal to then go really focus on what I can do. And I feel like that's such a good lesson, uh, both like for your athletic career, but also just in life and like for our mental health is really like being an optimist like we preach, but also being a realist at the end of the day of like, I, I need to know what I can't do and, and really focus on what I can and, and like what's in my control. Yeah, exactly. I think to your point, it's great for mental health as well, because you know, it's hard to really be, you know, be able to reflect on yourself and say, hey, this is something that, you know, I can improve on. But it's also important to make sure that you're still positive and giving yourself that positive reinforcement, which is what, you know, I try to do as well. But I couldn't get better if I didn't know my limitations. And I yeah, same thing. And with my mental health as well, you know, it's accepting it and, you know, leaning into that to those, you know, maybe things that you're not as good in and you know finding a way to get better for sure on on the note of mental health i'd love it if you could kind of share a bit about your upbringing and like your family i know i was reading that you were on skis at at two years old and then you moved to that ski academy and things like that and that there were some athletes in your family that kind of helped you train uh what was it like growing up so yeah i'm the oldest of five kids um Mm. The youngest three are triplets, uh, and we all grew up in Minnesota, and obviously there's not a lot of mountains in Minnesota. So once I kind of started to do well, my family then, all of them, moved to, to Colorado so that I could start skiing. And For you? Um, like hmm? your family picked up and moved there for you? Yeah, yeah. And that was, I think, a lot of pressure. I was 12 years old, and, you know, my siblings were, you know, pulled from their school, and they didn't weren't super happy with it. They all were, you know, skiers at the time as well. And, you know, my parents wanted to make sure they had the same opportunity that I did. Um, but no one was really quite into it. Um, and so they weren't, you know, I think they struggled a lot and knowing that they were struggling and knowing that, you know, financially it was a big risk for my family to take, to, to go out there, um, was definitely hard for me, but, you know, I knew that they believed in me and that's that belief was shown in the fact that they moved out there. So it's kind of a combination of, of belief, but also, you know, understanding that I really need to work hard because my whole family is, is riding on this. So I was lucky to kind of have my, the support of my family, but I don't know. I also think it was important to have that reality as well. And I guess, how did you, you said you felt the pressure kind of from your parents or your siblings, like, how did that like, I guess, manifest in your life? Like you were still training every day, but like, were you just holding it in? Were you like talking about it? Like how did that manifest early on? Yeah. Verbalizing anything was definitely not, you know, not something that my family did. It was like, let's not talk about anything ever. But, you know, it wasn't really like my family put pressure on me, but it was more that I felt the pressure, you know, internally. And I used that as a form of motivation to help me train harder. And, you know, for example, when my friends were partying and, you know, having a good time, I was like, no, I, you know, I need to stay focused on my goals, of making the Olympics and my family, you know, is all sacrificing for me. And I, you know, I, I really need to make sure I'm honoring that sacrifice and, and not wasting it. You know, I think that was a good mindset to have. And not a lot of kids at that age, you know, are really really care that much, you know, that they're going to sacrifice, you know, all those fun things, um, for a sport or much less anything else. So I think that, you know, in the end was something that I used in my favor instead of letting it, 
eat away at me. Yeah, I can definitely relate to, uh, I have four siblings also, so I'm actually in the middle of five, but I kind of, I struggled a lot with like mental health issues growing up and I kind of felt like I was like the black sheep of my family in a way or that like I was causing all the problems or everyone would always like get mad at me and then like I kind of use that to like alienate myself like from my family a bit and I would always feel like so misunderstood and then as I got older I like when things were actually going wrong I wouldn't want to talk about them because then it would just be like oh like Mason's having a hard time again or like all these things so I feel like it, it for me it was hard to kind of open up to them in that way after I had already struggled and then still have to feel like uh, just that like things were getting better when when they really might not have been. Um, but yeah, sibling dynamics are really hard. I can't imagine having uh, like just that that experience that you had. I'm curious, like how are your sibling dynamics then and kind of how did they like evolve as you as you guys got older? Well, you know, we, to my point earlier, we didn't really talk about anything. So you know, I knew that they had a hard time, you know, finding new friends and moving to a new school. And, you know, they were a lot younger than me, so it was much harder for them. And again, they didn't really like ski racing. There was only kind of one, one of my brothers liked it. And so, you know, it was, it was just really hard. And, and I, I think later on, like the last maybe five years, I feel like we've kind of come to an understanding and like actually vocalized some of the feelings that were going on at the time and, you know, how they all knew that all the eggs were in my basket and um, they were in my shadow a lot of the time. And I never knew that, you know, growing up Um, and they were always really supportive of me, but it was really actually difficult to hear some of my siblings, you know, express, uh, you know, some of those, these, those emotions that they were going through and, and um, not really feeling supported. And I, and I kind of talk about that in my book, but I, it, it was just, I don't know, when you're older and, you know, you're now we're you know, all doing therapy and things like that, you know, we're kind of processing everything and, you know, we're kind of going as we're improving as a family. I definitely think we're, we are in a really good place now, but it's taken, taken a bit to get there and actually vocalizing those, those feelings that we had like 20 years yeah. ago. Yeah. To me, like, that's the beauty of, of all of this and like everything that we talk about is like. 20 30 40 years whatever like if you don't talk about your shit and like process it properly it's still there it's not going away it's gonna rear its ugly head one day and like even when i've worked through things with like my siblings and my family it's like we'll get in that room and it's like i'm eight years old again and we're all just like (laughs) teenagers talking about this stuff so that that's that's amazing that you guys are finally able to to kind of break through on some of this stuff yeah i still feel like i'm 12 (laughs) same page i guess like Okay, so, you know, you're living in Colorado, you're, you're training, you're skiing every day, like you feel the pressure. I'm wondering, was there a time that you recognized like, okay, on one end, you knew you had this like drive and competitiveness, which like, some would say is like, oh, like that person is like mentally tough, right? Like, I feel like I had a lot of that growing up. But then on the other end, you know, you've, you've spoken a lot about like, having depression since you were a teenager. And like, that that probably like making you feel weak in some ways or like confused like is there a time that you remember like that first experience with depression or any form of like anxiety things of that sort at that age yeah so it really hit me hard when i moved from colorado to park city um at that time kind of the ski team was making all the athletes live out there and I was 17 years old and living, you know, with some friends that were also racers. And 
I just really had a hard time. I was, I didn't have a car. I was kind of, I felt really isolated and started, you know, not getting out of bed. And I knew that it was becoming a problem when I started struggling to go to the gym, which had never been a problem for me. You know, it was always something that I took pride in was being in shape. So, um, at that point, another friend of mine who is a racer kind of suggested, and he's like, you know, I saw a therapist and I'm on medication and I'm a lot better and you should probably do the same thing. And so that's, but at first I was like, I'm, I'm not, that's not, I'm not doing that. That's not, I don't have a problem. I'm fine. And then, you know, I realized shortly thereafter that I, that was a smart move. So I, I did that. I did therapy and I, and I went to the doctor and I got medication and I, it helped me a lot, but I didn't tell anyone. I think I told, you know, one person and that was it. And I really internalized that because I did feel like it was a weakness and I was brought up to be mentally tough. And I felt like that was not something that anyone needed to know because that would, you know, make me obviously a weaker competitor. And so I didn't really tell anyone, even my family until I was 26 years old. And I did a, I kind of felt like I needed to get it off my chest. And I, you know, was very, was then at that time vocal about it publicly and, um, and then my mom's like, oh yeah, I had depression too. I'm like, well, why don't you t- tell me that? Yeah. It was like one of those things that once I said it, it kind of opened up, you know, uh, a whole floodgate of, of a lot of people coming to, to support me, which was really, really helpful and, and really made me feel like I was less isolated. But, um, you know, I still got some, so many weird questions from like, you know, the press and like Europeans are like, so, you know, are you still taking medication? Like, how do you feel today? And it's like, that's actually really not how it works. It's not like <laughs> Nazil, you know, you just take it when you have a bad day. Um, <laughs> so it was like kind of a, it was kind of frustrating at times, but I think generally speaking, it was really good to talk about it. And I'm glad that now everyone's talking about it all the time, you know, especially with like Naomi and Simone and, um, Kevin Love, you know, it's it's really become um, a topic that that is mu- has much less stigma than it used to, and I'm I'm really excited about it, and I'm happy that we're talking about it now. I can't even imagine what the what the mental health landscape was like for athletes back in the early and mid 2000s. I mean, it was virtually just non-existent, and I think it is amazing to see how far it's come. And I think it's awesome to be able to talk to you. Who's really like an OG advocate, like in the space now and, and hear your perspective. I know for me, I had kind of a complicated relationship with medication at, at first I was like really turned off by it. Cause I think it was kind of that final pill that we have to swallow. No pun intended of like, I, I can't do it anymore or, or like I need help. I, I clearly can't do this on my own. And even just how you were saying, like, you were on antidepressants for almost 10 years and didn't even tell your family about it. But then as soon as you do, it like breaks that seal. And then it's like, Oh my God, it's, it's, it's no big deal. So I feel like that's just such a great reminder for the listener of, of like, even if your parents might not understand it because obviously older generations don't like we can be the ones to inspire our parents and like encourage them to be able to talk about these things and really just taking like the first step. I feel like mental health is one of the few things where like, the the children can really inspire their parents and like be leaders in this conversation to have that generation start to open up like your mom did to you and like to me that that's that's really the beauty of of everything that we do and 
it's not like they're not experiencing it because everyone struggles and suffers and, and has bad days and can relate to it in some way. So it's really just a matter of like being comfortable with yourself and, and just creating conversation, which is like everything that we're about at Mad Happy. I agree. That's awesome. One thing you said was like basically it was like nine years since like you first went to therapy, you started medication before you told your parents. And I think even I used to think of mental health as like this like weakness point right so you're like oh i'm so good at everything else like i'm mentally tough i could out ski everyone so like obviously i can't say this to anyone and then i learned like you know as i got older and even i only started therapy this january and i've i've been going every week and um i feel like i've learned so much about myself and i feel like i'm actually a a better person a, a better competitor in many ways like now after that and i feel like a lot of it is like this weird notion that like oh like if you're having a hard time and you talk about it, then it makes you worse or weaker. But then when you actually talk about it, it's like the exact opposite experience. Um, so I don't know. It's just like this funny thing where it's like uh, now, you know, even when we started four years ago, no one was talking about mental health. And it was like this weird thing that we were doing. And then now, like more people are talking about it and realizing, oh, it actually is great and like does make you feel better. So it's like this weird double standard of sorts. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I can definitely personally vouch that uh, you've become a better person in the last year too. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to shout myself out. But um, I guess like what made you um, want to write, you know, your new book now, right? So you have this uh, book coming out. Why now? I mean, I think for me, I had a lot of experiences that I went through. It was an interesting journey in my skiing career. And a lot of people I felt like, you know, look to me for, you know, when they got injured and what to do and, you know, how to come back from it. And I think that combined with the mental health component and just how I got to where I did, I wanted to share that story and hopefully give give people inspiration that they can come back from their own obstacles, you know, whatever they may be. I definitely had my share um, on and off the slopes. So that was kind of it's more like a legacy piece for me, kind of explaining my story. And, and again, like hope, hopefully it helps others along the way. That's really the ultimate goal is, is to help others. Yeah. I think the important thing with like mental health, I think we found is like, even just like, like Mason said, like breaking that initial seal, like you've already been talking about it. So like getting it down, even if it helps like one person, you know, that's what we think. Like if one article we do helps one person, then like it was worth it. And like, not everyone has to resonate with it. And, and not everyone even has to like it, right? I think is the important piece and definitely can't wait to read that and a lot more we want to get into there. I think one thing that I read that was interesting was, you know, now that you tell us you were struggling with depression and you were going to therapy and taking medication, you also talk about how you never like had like a mental coach, right? Like like on the slopes or any of that and how you really just like dealt with these things on your own or in your own head and like you skiing and, and like what why I guess like what made you want to do that and like not have a coach there I just felt I mean I I think I did one one um session with a sports psychologist and it really got in my head and made me think about things that I didn't want to think about and I was like this is crazy this made me way worse I I don't want to do this um and I was 16 years old and then after that, I just felt like it was a process of me figuring things out on my own. You know, I mean, I'm the one in the starting gate, right? So I have to figure out 
how I get myself in the mental state to be able to go 90 miles an hour down the mountain and be the most aggressive and, and ski the best that I can in that moment, which is difficult to do, you know, especially with a long season, you know, some days you just, you know, can't get up for it. Sometimes, you know, you're super anxious and, you know, for me, it was just a process of figuring out, you know, what do I need to think about? What do I need to do from preparation perspective to, to make me feel confident in those moments? And I didn't need someone else to tell me that. And I mean, I think, you know, there's a difference between sports psychology and, you know, regular therapy. And I think, you know, I, I definitely could have used regular therapy in that, in all of those years of racing. Um, I think that would have helped me a lot, but, you know, I, I instead, maybe this is probably not the healthiest way to do it, but I just internalized it, everything. And I then channeled it into my skiing and was able to put everything, all of my emotions, whatever I was dealing with into my racing. And when I was in the starting gate, I, I got myself to a place where, you know, I could always unleash all of those emotions. And that was my way of, of dealing with it. And so like, some of my most tumultuous years personally were my most successful professionally because I was just so good at internalizing everything and and letting it out on the mountain, which is why, you know, when I retired, it was an interesting transition because I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have my therapy anymore. Like, what do I do? Um, And so I really had to turn more toward more to therapy at that time, but why it was just a coping mechanism. You know, I, that was all I knew how to do. I, felt like talking to someone was, was not helpful. And, you know, was again, another sign of weakness. So I did what I had to do to survive and to succeed. And now that I'm done with that, I can process it all and be in a much better space. So I think all in all, it worked out. Okay. (laughs) I, uh, you said about the book that like so many people kind of talk to you when they go through injuries now almost as if you're like this this injury athlete guru um basically give you like <laughs> a recommendation what doctor what's your injury what's your rehab it's kind of yeah crazy. i'm just uh well i'm curious for some of the listeners who might not be as as familiar with your story like kind of what was your first major injury or like as as they started to happen more and more how did that really shift your mindset and what effect did they really have on like your mental health as you kept going I had a lot of small injuries, you know, like partial ACL tears, you know, back stuff, hip stuff. And then my first real injury was in 2013 at the World Championships. I I blew my knee out. I tore my ACL, my MCL, I had a tibial plateau fracture. And that really kind of derailed the train in a major way. And I never really got back on the tracks, to be honest. Um, I think I was injured. I never had a span of more than 12 months that I didn't have a major surgery for the rest of my career. And, you know, it changed everything because when you're injured that often, you're literally rehabbing the majority of the time and to physically just get back to where you left off is a huge challenge. So while everyone else is getting stronger and stronger and stronger every year, I'm just literally trying to get back to where I was. So because of, because of that, you know, lack of physicality and, and, you know, not able to you know, train as much as I wanted to and, and ski as much as I wanted to, I had to adapt. Um, I had to really pay so much attention to every course, every bump, every piece of terrain because one wrong move and I, you know, blow my knee out again. So I had to also then outsmart everyone in the sense that, 
you know, I knew where I, where I wasn't as fast because I couldn't be as physical and where I could make up the time. So I had to be very tactical in how I approached every race. And, you know, I, I still was able to win a lot after, um, after that first injury, but it just wasn't the same. You know, I wasn't on, it just was, it wasn't what it was, unfortunately, like when it wasn't what it used to be, but, um, I made it work with what I had. Yeah. Uh, the first time that you medaled in the Olympics was in 2010. I'm pretty sure. I'm curious, like, what was that moment like? And were you still kind of struggling with mental health issues at the time? Cause I know for me, similar to how you said, like, uh, some of your toughest years personally were your best years on the slopes. I, uh, like a few years into our business, I hit my rock bottom and I ended up uh, going away to treatment and getting sober when things externally were like amazing. So I'm curious what that moment was like, obviously the best moment of your professional career. How did that feel? And like, were things personally better as well? I think at that time, personally, things were pretty good. Um, But then, you know, after I won, it kind of set me on a different trajectory as far as um, just kind of the being more well-known um, that component was, was new to me in the U S you know, in Europe skiing's huge, but in the U S it just, it wasn't, it wasn't known at all. And and then I started going to, you know, movie premieres and red carpets and, you know, did a lot more of that kind of stuff. And it really got in my head being around people that were half my size. And I felt like I didn't belong there. Um, and so that, you know, that kind of mental struggle was, was really hard for me at that time. And, and I had a year where I, I think I didn't physically work as hard as I could have because I was too worried about my, the way I looked. I still did well, but I lost um, the overall title by three points. And I, I blame myself for that, for letting, you know, those kinds of silly things get in my mind. But at the time it was, you know, really a difficult thing. And after that, then kind of personally things fell apart, but, um, but that's a train wreck for another. Do you think winning that gold medal, like, were you expecting it to feel differently or did it feel exactly like what you thought? Cause like you finally made it after your like whole life skiing. I think it was so much better than what I ever thought it would be. Um, it was so much relief, you know, that I did it, you know, that all of everything that my family gave up for me to be there in that moment was worth it. And I mean, that's why there's like the image of me crossing the finish line and screaming. I was like, that for me is all everything that I had built up, you know, kind of being let out of me and so much relief and joy all at the same time. I wish I could bottle that day up and, you know, be able to experience again because it went by so fast. I mean, you know, I won and then I did media and then I went to the medal ceremony and then I went to bed and it was over, yeah. you know, and wait a minute, I just worked 25 years for this. And he's like, another couple of days, can I celebrate? You know, and the next day I had a race and, you know, I barely slept that night. I, I didn't ski as well as I wanted to the next day, but, um, you know, it was just such a, such an emotional moment. And, you know, I, I can't watch that race or watch the medal ceremony without almost like totally sobbing the whole time because it was just so um, such an incredible moment. I love what you shared about like the fame piece. I feel like that's something about Olympians that doesn't really get spoken about is like you're working so hard on your craft. You're not very well known outside of like the diehards. And then 
every four years, these people just become worldwide celebrities and get thrust into Hollywood and that orbit, like you said, and, and everything else. Have, have you spoken to other Olympians kind of like about that experience and how you just kind of get thrust into this world of fame, like with no training? Yeah, I have. And, you know, one recently in the last Olympics, you know, she was, you know, did really well and, and, you know, won and was already famous before, but then, you know, it was, it was like, I feel so lost, you know, you work so hard, you have all this attention and fame and then, you know, it's just over and you go home and it's, it's done, you know, it's such a, an anticlimactic moment where, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like everything's great and, you know, you've got all these people surrounding you, but when you go to bed at night and the lights turn off, you're all by yourself. And what does that mean? And how do you process that? And, and, um, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that I know struggle with that and then also, you know, struggle with just the component of fame in and of itself. And, you know, what do you do? And, you know, you've, you know, hopefully you're, you've set yourself up with sponsors to make money and a lot of them haven't. And then, you know, they've got this moment that's incredible and you can't capitalize on it. You know, there's, there's a lot of different things that athletes go through outside of their field of play, which, you know, most people don't even consider. And, you know, I think it's, there's like 74% of Olympians are um, financially not stable. So there's a lot going on, not just from the fame perspective, but also like, how do I capitalize and, and make money at the same time? And, and then you've got the, you know, mental factor of just processing all. Yeah, it feels like there's so much pressure because it's like, it's like everything you've worked for. And then it's like, if you don't meddle, then like, you're not going to be able to like support yourself. So it's like this like loop of things. And then it's like, I think Simone Biles was like the first example I saw in an Olympics where like, of course, she had done it, in, you know, in the Olympics prior. And then she came into this one and the expectations were even higher. Like people were just saying like, oh, she already won. Like they don't even need to like compete, you know, type of attitude, which I think I'm sure added so much pressure to her. And then and then people were just like, oh, she's just like not, com you know, not competing. It was like so foreign to people. So it's just like I can only imagine how hard it is because it's like you have this moment and it's not even just like winning or losing. It's just like your livelihood and like what are you going to do after and even if you win like you don't even know it's crazy you know and I feel like even Michael Phelps was a good example of this because he won you know he won eight golds and then and then like had like the hardest times of his life after and, and I think it's just like something that only now is being talked about but clearly has been like prevalent for so long yeah I mean I have so much respect for Mike because he you know is also kind of one of the first people to you know, come out and talk about mental health and how much he struggled. I mean, he's one of the greatest Olympians ever in the history of the Olympic summer or winter. And, you know, here he is, you know, struggling immensely after all that success. And that's unfortunately a pretty common thing. And I just, I think that, you know, it's hard for people to relate to that. And so I think that everyone just assumes that because there's so much success there, that that equals happiness. And it really does not. You know, just because, you know, you, you work hard and you succeed at something doesn't, doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to be happy. And, um, again, I just think that these conversations are great because hopefully we can explain it a little bit more and, you know, people can have more empathy for the athletes because I think everyone just really expects them always to win and, you know, always to be tough and, you know, we can't always be that. Um, I mean, I, 
definitely didn't allow myself to be that, but you know, that was my own issue (laughs) and um, you know, everyone's different and they process it differently. And so I just think, you know, having that empathy and understanding is really important. Yeah. I think something that was hard for me growing up was, and I understand better now is like success isn't like tied to like happiness. So it's like when you see all these like famous people, whether it's like Olympians or like TikTokers now, like everyone's like, Oh, like you can't struggle. Like everything in your life is good. Like you have money or like you have success. And I think it's almost the opposite, especially if like that success comes about quickly. It's like people don't know how to react and it doesn't feel like what you thought it was going to feel like and all of that. And I think that's coming more into the conversation now with athletes speaking out, musicians, any celebrity talking about it, because before it was like the media controlling everything and like sort of like distorting what people were actually feeling to try to like make these people look like invincible. And I mean, I think there is a level of aspiration that, you know, people want that they want a superhero and they, they want someone to look up to and be like this, you know, I want to be this person. This is, this person is indestructible. Um, but we all are human. And, you know, I, I find that the more I'm around successful people, the more I realize that a lot of them are unhappy and it's difficult to find, you know, a support system. Um, if it's difficult to find people to understand, you know, what you're going through and, you know, a lot of people just dig in really hard to the work yeah. and are successful and just are super miserable. So, you know, I think it's all on each, each of us, each of us as individuals to, you know, get therapy and, you know, make sure we're taking care of ourselves and getting the time that we need because no one is going to do it for us. And, you know, I just think that again, now just talking about it more, hopefully it just becomes more normalized and, and, you know, no matter who you are and what success level you have, you understand that that's an important part of life. We have uh, one more thing that Brad told us to ask you was, oh boy. so you had the injuries at <laughs> starting kind of in 13 and and for the next like four or five years. And then for those who don't know, you had an extremely epic comeback in the 18 Olympics uh, meddling. And he said that we have to ask you to tell that story of what that final run was like in in your last Olympics after all those injuries. Uh, It was pretty crazy because I actually, no one, I didn't tell anyone at the time, but I had like dislodged a huge chunk of cartilage. It was like this big and it was floating around in my knee. So I actually... I couldn't like straighten my knee and I couldn't bend it past like 90 degrees. And, you know, my grandfather had died and he had, you know, served in the Korean war and I was really hoping that he was going to be there. And, you know, it was so emotional for me on so many levels. And I, you know, my body was, was really struggling, but it was such a great run. Like I was so happy, even though I got bronze, I felt like that was the best outcome that, I could have had because I, you know, normally I'm so I'm able to control my emotions so well on the start, you know, as I talked about before, and I really used it. I really had a hard time because, you know, with my grandfather was, I felt really soft, you know, where like I was just so emotional that I couldn't put it into anything. Like it wasn't, you know, I wasn't angry at anyone. I was, you know, it wasn't an aggression. It was more of just a like emotional sadness. So it was hard, but it was an amazing, an amazing last Olympic run. And um, I was so happy that I got a, a bronze. Are you even feeling pain like when you're going down and, and your body is like breaking apart in that way? Or are you just so like focused and the adrenaline's crazy that like you don't even feel anything? 
I mean, normally I'm my adrenaline so high that I don't feel anything. But then at the end of my career, like the last year, I actually physically couldn't feel my leg. Um, and so I didn't know like what my skis were doing because I couldn't feel my leg. So that was the point where I thought I decided, I think this is enough. <laughs> I can't feel anything that's happening right now. Like I'm wearing two knee braces. Um, I, you know, I had like no LCL on one knee and I had no cartilage on the other bone on bone, like, you know, two plateau fractures. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So yeah, yeah. that's it. But I, you have the more tolerance you build up so i guess i just have a solid tolerance at this point anyone who hasn't uh for our younger listeners if you don't remember those olympics go watch that video on youtube because it's so inspiring and so moving and it's history i guess well first of all it's a great way to hang it up but um as you wrote this this book like you know if there was like one message that you wanted to pass on whether it's to younger athletes or just younger kids that that read it like what would that be? Just to pick yourself back up. You know, everyone falls, everyone faces adversities, um, whether physical or mental or um, situational, you know, we all go through it, but it's about, you know, finding a way through and picking yourself back up and understanding that that's just a process and um, no one's perfect. Um, and there's a lot of ways from point A to point B. So um, you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other every single day and you'll eventually get to where you need to go. And how do you think about now, you know, what's next for for Lindsey Vaughn, right? Like I think um, athletes, you know, you're younger when when you stop, you know, competing in your sport. How do you think about the next many, many years you have? I mean, there's a lot, you know, that I, that I could do and a lot that I am doing. I think, you know, just the new challenges and learning and being involved in business and I'm in venture capital now and, you know, uh, advising funds, advising companies. And, um, there's so much going on and, you know, just the process of uploading all this information and learning has been, been the fun, funnest part for me, you know? It's kind of like this whole world has opened up and, and I'm just out here hungry and willing to work hard and willing to learn. And um, I don't know where I'll eventually go, but um, there's a lot that I'm excited for right now and just keep working hard every day and we'll see. That's amazing. Uh, lastly, Lindsay, what makes you mad happy? <laughs> Life. <laughs> I wake up every day and I have an opportunity to work hard and, and have fun. So that's what makes me happy. I'm here. Amen. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We we are here and we, we always have to remember that. Thank you so much, Lindsay. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we're so excited to read the book. Everything will be linked in the show notes. So, so thank you everyone for listening and thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're so excited to be back doing the show again. This is going to be a huge year, and we're really excited to continue to make it bigger and better and grow our audience, come see you guys in person, all this fun stuff. And remember, keep sending us your questions. We're going to be answering a lot more of them in the intros. Uh, Follow us on Spotify. You can actually leave uh, a rating on Spotify now, so please give us five stars there if you're liking the show. And subscribe on Apple as always, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mad Happy Podcast. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.